1: Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
2: Well, I think in interviewing these guys, one of the things they all talked about was bad intentions. You know, just, just making sure you, you try to stay in your zone uh, and swing the bat with bad
3: intentions. And um, that's, that's so... You know, when, when you do that and you stay in the strike zone and you have the, the ability that we have, you're going to put the ball in the seats. Um,
2: but they, they all have great skill set. These coaches, these hitting coaches, they all have a lot of experience.
3: The most important thing for me is that they understand how hard this game is. They understand how hard uh, it is to hit the type of pitching that we're facing every night.
2: And they got great instincts. They got great instincts to communicate and to motivate, uh, which is extremely important in this game. is the brand new White Sox manager, Pedro Grifal, talking about his coaching staff. And the coaching staff is an intriguing one to me, a baseball human. To you, Adam Hogue, White Sox fan, to our guest James Fegan, the White Sox reporter and writer over at The Athletic who joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And the, 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 the composition of the White Sox coaching staff ought to be very interesting to the White Sox fans because they're being asked to coach up essentially the same core and change the results based on approach and based on work ethic and some new information and a new attitude. So how's that going? Let's ask James Feagan, who joins us right now and wrote today about the White Sox new hitting coaches. How many do they have? Two and a half? Is that what you've decided on Is the official number, James?
4: Uh, Pedro has said that the number is two and a half. Um, I don't know if it's like a King Samson situation with Mike Tozar, but the- that, that that's the that's the figure they're rolling with okay because
2: they have a hitting coach they have an assistant hitting coach and the hitting coach comes from outside the organization the assistant hitting coach is rising up through the white Sox, and mike tozar you said is the is the field coordinator has a hitting coach background what did you learn about that consortium as you did the research for this article today
4: uh, that they're already meeting in florida uh on a at least a weekly basis uh Basically, Mike Tozar has Oscar Colas and Romeo Gonzalez like working out and doing cage sessions at his house three times a week. And, you know, regularly Jose Castro comes by, and, you know, when he can make the 90 minute drive, Chris Johnson's there too. So they've kind of already been, you know, caucusing to, to uh, you know, map out their offensive strategy for the spring training. James, I, I just in reading what
3: you've written and kind of what we've heard so far, it does seem like Pedro Graffal has more of a how do you put it, just a more in-depth process to how different pitchers are going to pitch you differently and attacking it more of a almost a matchup standpoint rather than just like, you know, go out there and do what you do as a hitter and what you're good at, to put it simply. Does does, does that make sense?
4: Um, I mean, I would say Tony Rouss is as uh, you know, obsessive about matchups to you know literal fault because that's kind of the root of the one-two count situation thing. But I, I would say that you know a lot of you talk to hitting coaches is about like we need to distill down the info into you know very simple takeaways. Uh, and this Pedro is very much like the pay- players need to know the information level themselves. They need to know what uh, 16 inches of run on a fastball means, so that when we tell them this guy is. Seven, that they can thus translate it to you know it's going to get on you more it's going to have a bit more ride rather than kind of shielding players off uh, from that level of information which is something that you know more than just you know the oldest school organizations do it, it's the you know a little bit legitimate you know discussion about how useful it is or how much players should know how much they should take in but Pedro is very much like we all need to kind of talk at this level of, of analytical uh, baseline knowledge and that's something he's you know, kind of press the points coaches to be part of. Yeah, th- that's a very
2: individualized thing. I remember when Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer were kind of instilling that mindset, and it didn't really help Kyle Schwarber to think about all of that, you know? And like, and they they went years trying to figure out the way to lock it in and then kind of gave up on him and off he went. Like, there, there are going to be some hitters that don't respond to the expectation of having all that knowledge or, or or respond to the ability of being able to transfer that knowledge into results. That's that's going to be hit and miss with some guys on this team.
4: Uh, it's something that they know it's going to be a bigger adjustment with some and smaller with others. I mean, I could say just offhand, I had a conversation with Luis Roberts at the start of last season where he said, like, hey, I came up. When I came up playing in Cuba, I knew what they threw and how hard it was. And then I rolled in the game and I saw it and that's how I adjusted. So I think he'd be. The, you know, example when I just because of how talented it is, but also the approach he came up with of how you see how you'd be interested to see how he adjusts this. Does this unlock a new level for him or does he wind up kind of going back to what he's been doing and, you know, we, we see how he develops over the course of a normal timeline. I, I think he's, he's probably an interesting test case of that, but I think he's not alone in that. I, I know, you know, Alloy has had to, you know, someone who's just so good, so talented, so brilliant making adjustments at the lower levels that he's had to go through a lot of, of maturation with his approach over the years, would this be something that continues it, or is this something that's a little bit beyond what he's doing? The big talents in this organization, I think, could could benefit a lot from this if it turns out that this worse for them.
2: See, this stuff is interesting to me because of what we talked about. How, like, you know, they're expected to make changes with with guys. Based on this stuff. So so some of it is the analytical knowledge that's going to be expected. Some of it is the way they're going to talk. I like the point where Castro said, look, we're going to talk and then one of us is going to get the message to the player. It's not going to be a lot of different voices. And that's a, that's a good goal. And then this, I'll just read it from James Fegan's article. The prescribed remedy... Is making hitters meetings and batting cage sessions just as intricate and challenging as the game itself, if that's possible, and keeping a whole roster convinced that there's a breakthrough on the other side of it man, that's big like you're asking you're asking guys to buy in to to allot their process and information, and you're asking a lot of trust. Are, are the players going to be
4: open to it? I would think that this is the coming off a type of season where you have as much open to uh, you know, changes or open the idea that we need to do something to get to the next level as you're going to get. But yeah, it remains to be seen. There are certainly guys who you know, just take low-speed batting practice or get a couple flips, and that's how they're used to getting the swing right, and these guys are going to be coming in, and I, I certainly think that they're going to try to be cognizant of what guys have been doing before, but they're also talking about, we're going to hit high velocity off the machine, and you're going to see exactly what is going to be thrown tonight. That's not going to be all about just getting loose and feeling comfortable, but getting you actually prepped for what you're going to see. I, I think it's it's definitely a picking one side of the debate about what's more important. Is it just making guys comfortable and letting athletes be athletes? Or it's about like, hey, you need to prepare for what you're going to see. Because I think last year's performance, they don't really have a leg to stand on to say like, hey, we can adjust mid-game and we'll be fine. We, we saw too many quick three innings of not much doing and not much traffic on the bases to really say that's the way to go with this team. All
3: right, James. Well, you know these guys. You, I mean – None of us can really say how it'll turn out if these improvements will actually help the guys on the roster, but I guess how much you are you are you buying the internal improvement that is possible versus, like, hey, you still got to go out and get different players too?
4: Huh. Well, yeah, I, I think right now you can – I would say I definitely buy into the idea that, you can internally prove this core and get back to what they were in 2021. Like this is a team that's talented enough just as it is right now to win the division or even be favored to win the division. If they hadn't kind of produced so much skepticism last year, I I think it's that caliber team, but I think that how much does that really get us beyond to where we were at the end of the 2021 season where it's like, this team is good, but it needs another like, you know, Sonic leap to really catch up with the Astros and the true world series contenders of the league that I'm I'm much more skeptical on. And I don't think I'll be doing any predicting to them to win a world series as things currently stand. I, I, I think their talent level is probably still uh, a notch or two below where I'm not going to give that much grace. The idea of you can just coach this core up and it'll, it'll be a world series contender. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's about where my fault line is for it.
2: Mm, yeah. Cause Adam's wondering like, Are they done? Like, is second base going to be something that is fought for internally? Is right field something that's going to be handed to Oscar Colas as his job to lose and or fought for internally? Do you get the sense, is there more position players coming or do you think we're here?
4: Uh, I wouldn't rule out anything being done, but I think the biggest dominoes have already dropped. I think they already kind of picked the lane of... You know, are we going to spread our budget towards between evenly between the two spots? Or are we going to go out and pay market price for a, a corner out there, a left fielder uh, on, on the open market? And they, they clearly chose the latter at this point. You know, they've been talking enough about second basin and trades. I would say, like, oh, it's just Roman Gonzalez now, but uh, I, I don't think that's something on the on the level of Andrew Benintendi is coming to that level. And I think they've been pretty clear since even the GM meetings that Oscar Collins is more or less going to be given a more or less free runway to take over the right field job if not on opening day, so I'm certainly not envisioning anything significant putting there to block them at any point because I, I think that's their plan to have a very cost-controlled right fielder for years to come.
3: Mm-hmm. James, things got so bad last year that I, I almost wondered if they had to trade one of these players from the core in order to, I don't know, just reallocate talent to a different position or just reallocate
2: vibes to
3: that too. Do you sense that being on the table at all? Or are they, are they like really married to these guys that they really put together in this core?
4: I think that was considered. Uh, I, I think they've moved beyond that. They, they've the rationale that's been given to me is that we try to look at um, how do we get back as soon as possible? Not like this broad reshaping to absolutely like what's our best chance at a title over the next, you know, 20 years that have involved reimagining this core. But how do we get them back to the playoffs next year? And they thought that the students and the quickest way to do that was basically to recoup the value of the, you know, the investments they've already made in all these guys as long-term pieces and get them back to where they think they are rather than trying to, you know, completely break things apart, start all over again, and also sell everybody a low value um, as a result of that. So I think the major reshuffling of the core beyond, you know, the franchise player walking out the door uh, I don't see that happening. Yeah, yeah,
2: right. Beyond the the franchise player and the best hitter and the heart and soul of the locker room, beyond him walking out the door, that sh- aside, <laughs> you know, nothing to do it. <laughs> it is it's it's quite something, you know. I, I mean, did did his market have anything to do with it, or was it just they kind of decided it was time? Have you gotten anywhere on the truth of a uh, the possible offer that uh, that Jose Abreu was made?
4: I think the roster situation was always set up to where this was, um, you know, kind of the plan and what they thought expected to be. I think the market maybe made it with an exclamation point in the sense like there's no way that we're kind of dedicating Mm. the lion's share of their off-season budget just to retaining this kind of roster mix. that They already didn't really feel like it worked. Mm. Uh, But uh, I, I sure like if Jose Abreu like literally, you know, said I'll work for free, then how do you turn down like an elite bat? But, I, I don't think that they thought there was any reasonable measure where you wouldn't get something, you know, pretty high level. And, thus, you know, then the free agent market taking off and being even more expensive than people maybe envisioned just, you know, was just an exclamation point.
3: James, who makes sense as a second baseman? I mean, I, does it make sense to bring Elvis Andrews back and is, I don't know that just, I, I, I love that guy. I mean, I mean, it makes sense to me, but it also doesn't excite me at the same time. Does that make
4: sense? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, some of the idea behind, like, seeing if the Mets wanted to move Eduardo Escobar is that at least he's a switch hitter and that, like, uh, contributes to some of your handedness and also he brings home run power, which is something, you know, the lineup shouldn't lack, but, you know, lacked last year But he's uh, a low-on-base guy, and, you know, there's, there's some elements of his game that seem to be uh, open to decline. I think something of that vein that would increase your left-handedness would be uh, part of it. That's why Colton Wong, I thought, was, was something that made sense early the season, yeah. but... I don't think there's a huge difference maker uh, on the market or, you know, up for sale really at this point. Andrews certainly. Yeah. If you add him and make the team better, make the team deeper. Um, I just don't know uh, if they're going to offer him something that's more beyond what he would get from a team to be a good stopgap starting shortstop, which I think he showed he could be for somebody uh, all throughout the last month of last season.
2: Boy, Eduardo Escobar is both the, it has a little bit of that one that got away thing. Cause he was here mm-hmm. for 10 minutes. Um, and also, he's a beloved clubhouse guy, like absolutely beloved there and really everywhere um, he's been. That's 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 an interesting name. I, I mean, why would they why would they give him up? They, they would just rather pay him as their their 25th guy. You know, I mean, like, they didn't, uh, you know, I I would think, or is there some glut there that I'm not uh, understanding? Well, there'd be glut
4: there if, you know, they had Carlos Correa as the third base and they're not, you know, voided for physical issues. So, so that that could be part of holding up that situation as, as far as seeing how they're going to reshuffle their infield. But if go. they do bring him on, then they got uh, McNeil Lindor, and Doran Correa and that theoretically, if it's all him and uh, or May, if I'm pronouncing his name right, so, you know, those are both guys that people are looking for the best to possibly move, If you know, that that. Shuffle actually occurs, but we're all we're all waiting for news on that at this point.
2: Yeah, amazing. Um, James Fegan of the Athletic is with us. Uh, we had an exchange a couple of weeks ago that uh, made me smile for a couple of days. Um, you wished Carlos Rodon well in New York, and suggested, if if memory serves, that you know he's going to have to shave the facial hair because that's how it rolls there, especially the beard. But you wanted the jersey to remain open. Remember, you wanted at least the top mm. button because he's been consistently what a three-button open guy for for his recent career, James.
4: Definitely in the time I've covered him, especially when he like came back from injury first time. I, I noticed that about him when he was like really letting it hang loose as that was part of it. And I, you know, became so amused by it because he's not like a guy from like a cold weather city. He lives in Indiana now, but like <laughs> the idea he was just going to pitch with like his shirt open and like no sleeves. Uh, in 30 degree weather that there's this time that he's doing it and I just like took a picture of it because like the weather was like on the I took a screenshot of it because like the graphic of the temperature was right next to it and like 38 degrees And I thought like this is just so him and that wound up being the through the no hitter so I thought that was just like a, such a perfect night of his identity that like yeah that's that's got to live on like as much as like I know, White Sox fans don't want to hear it. The idea of like a playoff game and like Allison Chains blaring at Yankee Stadium and Carlos Ron coming out like ah. that, that sounds like a great moment for him. That I, I hope he gets it.
2: Yes, and 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 I I think I said something like, "Oh, this is such a fan tweet, and I love you for it." And you said, "Team vibes, team fan vibes die, but player vibes are forever," which is I a feel that right. Don't, yeah. don't you feel that? Like you grow up a fan of a team and then you end up covering a team. The team fan vibes die, but the player vibes are forever. So, if Rodon is the starting pitcher on the all vibes team for James Fegan, who else is on that team? Who else makes makes the roster or the lineup, or even just grabs some bench on the all vibes team for James?
4: Well, it's funny because like I thought Carlos like was like grumpy the first couple of years I covered him, and then once I saw that he was just so bad at himself for being hurt and so kind of frustrated and I was like, Oh, you you're just really hard on yourself. I can I can sympathize I can empathize with that. That's me. Like that that's when I really <laughs> felt like I understood him. Uh I mean Lance Lynn I feel like is an easy all vibes guy. If we're just talking about angry, hairy guys on the mound. I, I think he's probably central casting for that. Um I, I I don't know. Any anybody who kind of seems like they're ready to fight to some degree while fishing is, is usually a good fit. <laughs>
3: That's Liam That's Hendricks too. Yeah. In, uh, oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so if Carlos Rodon is a three-button guy, yeah, then is Eloy four, five? I mean, how, I, how I many buttons pictures, are there? I feel like Eloy's just coming out opening day and just just going to be the first player to just not have a button jersey. Just <laughs> let it all open.
4: Yeah, just like uh you know, like summer vacation type of a uh, you know, kind of a loose fitting like vest that he just wears over his jersey that yeah. the chains out. I like That'd that.
2: I like that with the, with the tank top underneath. You know, or, uh, someday somebody's gonna go with the old LA, the old LA gang style where you just get the top button going. And no, oh. other, and no other buttons. You get the reversal in there. That's, that's how I like to roll it, especially because it gets a little tight around the midsection. For a man like me. Uh, James, thank you so much. Have a wonderful uh, new year. And um, thanks for uh, playing our silly games and, and having our silly conversations. Enjoy your day.
4: Well, never again in 2022, but maybe next year. <laughs> okay. like yeah, I anticipate. understand. You know what? That's it.
2: We're not asking. That's it. Vegans, <laughs> darn. Gone. That's right. The way it's supposed to be, yeah. You feel that the play like team vibes go away, but player vibes are
3: forever. I yeah. feel that, yeah. Especially the team vibes going away part with the White Sox, yeah, yeah. It, it, There's it, it, not many vibes left. Oh man, <laughs> it's so brutal.
2: Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, it was a double gut punch these past couple years, right? It's a way. Uh, it, it, look, when I think about because the first Larusa year, team's good, but you start realizing midway through the year. Team's not good enough. And then they get drummed out of the playoffs, and you're like, team's really not good enough and not well managed enough, not well run enough. Let's have a great offseason and fix this. And they didn't fix
3: it. Yeah. Anything. I think in this city, um, nine out of 10 coaches or like regime changes or anything, you end up with some type of honeymoon phase with some ex- exceptions like the Jim Boylan thing or mm. maybe even Jeremy Colleton. More, more naming um, a lot of recent coaches. Wow, so maybe it's not that much. But with Tony, it was like I don't know. You just had a whole fan base that right away was like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. This isn't going to go well. And to me, it was actually the You're Mean Mercedes thing that happened early on in that twenty twenty one season. Yes, yes, yes. Where as much as maybe it's justified because he never really became much beyond that. I it's, just it wasn't
2: justified. It 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 y- you, you 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 sided with you sided with the opposing manager.
3: It's your and it's your team. It's your division rival. Yes. You justified an opposing team throwing at one of your own guys. Uh-huh. I cannot imagine any manager doing that. No. Ever.
2: It's 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 leadership 101 in any in any sports world. You decided in that moment and made it clear, which we all kind of knew was his MO and we all feared that his way of playing the game was bigger than what. Everybody else does, and everybody else is doing. That was always his vibe, and I said he had to be a coattail rider on the culture, and within six weeks, he had an opportunity to back his team. And he did the opposite. And he did the opposite. And And they they knew it, and they felt it, and then they lived in peaceful opposition with him the rest of the way.
3: And I didn't think it was an overreaction at the time, not that it ever would have happened, but it was like, I think most Sox fans realized they got to get out of this somehow now, or they're going to lose everything that they've built up with this group and the vibes that they've had and the way they play the game. Wow. It's going to be sucked away, and that's exactly what ended up happening. That's why it was so painful for us. It really was. I mean, that's really what it was. We all saw it before it happened. We saw it while it was happening, yeah. and they didn't do anything until it was way too late, and now we're all worried that they're never going to be able to get it back.
2: And they might not. They might, they might have blown their chance. That's what it feels like, right? They might have blown their chance. After a long rebuild, and right here in the middle of the window, they might have blown their chance for a vanity selection. They hired an energy vampire who sucked the energy out of the place um, to right a wrong from the owner's past.
3: And all <laughs> after sitting through four years of losing. Yeah. Which I can't think of anything. <laughs> There's certainly rebuilds that have failed. But how many cops are there for a rebuild that like seemingly got all the way there. And then they bungled it that completely. And then they just did something that was so catastrophic to just with one move. With one move, mm. they ruined it all. That's a it's a good question. If anybody
2: can think about their own personal sports history or, you know, recent sports history in the last 20, 30 years, a rebuild cuz like the full-on investment in a 5-year rebuild. Yeah. That then it's one thing to get close and just not really get over the hump, which so many teams have done, um, and you know, and just kind of like keep scuffling and but they never trying. Even
3: got to the hump because they weren't, even though they seemingly had the roster.
2: How do you think? See, history is gonna. There'll be people who didn't live it, like you lived it and just described, which yeah. is the way that we all experienced it. There's gonna be people who didn't live it, and we'll look down and say, you know, they made the playoffs two years in a row. Right? Yeah, they did but, make the playoffs two years in a row. One was a pandemic season, and the other was in a year where everybody realized
3: they were blowing it. And people forget the pandemic season. Like, they did blow it. Yeah, they did. If it wasn't down for the expanded stretch. postseason, they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They absolutely, that was just as bad as 2012 was, yeah. or what 05 almost was, with the way that they blew that See, down the stretch. And, and you know what? That's why the whole thing, that's an extra level as to why
2: the whole thing feels that bad. Because Renteria blew it and everybody knew it. It's time to bring in a professional big boy manager. I remember talking with people within the White Sox organization at the time who were like, yeah, look, there's going to be people who miss Rick Renteria because he's their friend. You want a friend? Get a dog. I remember somebody saying that to me like, you know, no, your manager can't be your friend. Okay, let's go get a real manager. And they hired Tony. And And so that you knew they needed one, and
3: that's what you got. Yeah. And there's certainly rebuilds that fail. Of like, course. Like there's teams that have been rebuilding for decades. But this was a rebuild that seemingly had gotten to that point where mm-hmm. it was working, and then they just hired Time for coach. the
2: finishing touches. Time for the the final little bit of excellence. You can text us all show long at 312-644-6767. A couple of good options coming in on that conversation. Still taking your text on sports imposters as uh, inspired by George Santos, the Long Island congressman. Woo, that's quite something. Uh, Will Gottlieb is going to join us from CHGO uh, at 4 o'clock to talk bulls. And before that, you'll hear an exchange that we had with Bill Wennington uh, yesterday that I wanted to get to. Um, But, uh, Adam, there is a projected trade that sets a backdrop for some big-picture Bears talk. That I want to have with you as we think about the off season to come. So we'll do that next, mixed in with your reaction to everything on Parkins and Spiegel here on the Score.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT and T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
3: The Parkinson Spiegel Show. It's kind of a dank afternoon.
1: What about thanks? Afternoons on the score. Getting Diggs or A.J. Brown in Philly like you just saw or Tyreek Hill and- Miami. How have you noticed maybe the organizations going and getting that star wide receiver, that elite number one? Is that philosophy changed over the last few years, where that's more of a, an impact that teams want to do for a young quarterback?
0: Yeah, I, I think it is. Uh, but I think if you go back in time, it's always been that way. There's always been that the elite receiver, you know, on the outside that has impacted the game. Um, So these guys are the the fresh new guys that we have now, Um, and they come in all different sizes, right? You know, all different shapes, all different sizes, all different skill sets. But uh, it's something that you need to have, you know, because they do change the game.
2: Matt Eberflus talking about wide receiver one. Uh, My 10-year-old son loves this song, Devil's Haircut by Beck. I know Studs loves it. Smart kid. Uh, smart, you know what he loves? He loves uh, he loves the whole damn thing, but at the end, just the shrieking, the <laughs> devil's in my mind. Just the, like just some, it, it's Beck shrieking as loud as he possibly can, right there at the end. It's ex- incredibly satisfying. Yeah, you ever seen him live? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah! So, it's the best show I've ever been so, to. So,
2: yeah, incredible. puts uh, puts on a pretty great show, uh, without a doubt. So that that led me down a rabbit hole of finding. The best screaming in songs, so my kid could hear. So I I found some Pixies. I don't know if anybody's a fan of the Pixies and Black Francis, but that's one of the great rock and roll screamers uh, of all time. Oh, so
1: we're not talking like death metal screaming? No, sure, (laughs)
2: sure, it it, it counts. I mean, obviously, all those guys scream. But like, I mean, Lemmy from Motorhead as a as a phenomenal screamer. But like, if anybody wants to send me some some songs.
3: Feel free. Rock and roll screaming. The kid digs it. Does it have to be like actual screaming? Like, do you put any Robert Plant in that category?
2: Yeah. I mean, Plant is unique because Plant could scream t- tunefully. Yeah. Right? Extre- extremely well. And he's, yes. Yeah. You're right. I haven't played a lot of Zeppelin or oh. The Darkness or um, What's it, Greta Van Fleet. I should, you know, I should play those for him. Greta Van Fleet is Zeppelin remixed, of course, but you know. Yeah, do
3: you give respect to Greta Van Fleet? Cause I, I. Yeah, man, I I do. That's fun but, as hell. But every time it comes up, people are always like, "They're just fakers." Like maybe they're in our our music imposter. Segment, (laughs) but I disagree. I like them. I saw them up at the Sylvia Madison. Did you enjoyed the show? I saw them in
2: Aragon a couple years ago. They're pretty good. Yeah, but they 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 put on a good show. They're having fun. They are uh, uh, very vividly and deeply referencing some incredibly obvious influences. But But, I was but they don't pretend that they're not doing
3: that. At the exactly, same time. and everyone's like, "Oh, you're just you're yeah. just impersonating Robert." Pl-. Do you know how hard it is to do Robert Plant? Oh yeah, no,
2: it's it's yeah, I, it's, I do. I, I know exactly how hard it is. I, I'm sure you do. It's, I'm not. I, I can't do it very well.
1: I've heard. I've heard. I think it was Robert Plant talking about Greta Van Fleet. They asked him about them, and they're like, "Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. Like, he loves so, them." So, so yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like you know, we're all remember that Zeppelin stole all kinds of stuff. Jimmy Page and and stole all kinds of music from mostly from uh from black blues artists you know like just all kinds of chord progressions and things like that. Hell, Stairway to Heaven, the acoustic part of the beginning of Stairway to Heaven was supposedly stolen from a song by the band Spirit. Uh, You know, Spirit. Yes, I got my eyes on you, babe. Not that song. Did they ever figure out
3: that lawsuit?
2: (laughs) Because even a couple years ago, that was still going on. It was still going on. It was still going on. But I mean, look, my 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 brother and I, we, we were in bands together for a long time. He used to say, "If you steal, steal from the best." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because musically, you know, everybody's stealing a little bit when yeah. when you're writing original stuff. So yeah, steal the good stuff.
1: Yeah, I like no, the, I'm
2: yeah. to right, Steal from the best.
3: I'll steal the bad stuff. No. Don't make any
1: don't sense. Don't just, do that. <laughs> just, just so where we all know now, the yes. Stairway to Heaven copyright case was settled in October 2020. Led Zeppelin won the won their appeal.
2: Ah, oh, okay. Good for that. I don't know. Yeah, um, Roger Dolce from The Who. Absolutely. The scream at the end of Won't Get Fooled Again Oh yeah, is one of the most satisfying moments in the history of rock and roll. And I will stand up and say that that is the greatest rock and roll song of all time. I will hold on to that one. Lynn Bramer says it is uh, Gimme Shelter by oh. The Stones. But I believe it is Won't Get Fooled Again.
3: I think that's a great debate. I love both songs. I think I side with Lynn. You
2: do? Yeah. I
3: want you to think about
2: the lyric of Won't Get Fooled Again and think about how that informs the feeling, the vibe, the rebellion. The uh, At the end, new meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Yeah. But still, we're going to keep rocking and trying, even though we are going to get fooled again. But we, yeah. like the whole, the whole damn thing, the lyric is perfect. So
3: to me, it's the whole spirit of it. See, I think they had Gimme Shelter on Rock Band, and that's as close as I'm ever going to get to any level of uh, music ability that mm. you have that I don't, mm. uh, and that's why I think Gimme Shelter. Satisfying. Is, it's, it's in there with me it's somewhere sat- through a video game. Yeah, that's, yeah. it's good.
2: It's good. <laughs> rock Band's fun. Rock Band's fun. Oh, I love that. It's a great yeah. leveler.
3: It's a great yeah. leveler. I sucked on Rock Band. Some For some reason, I was good at it. So I am definitely not good at video games. I'm not a gamer. I never really played a ton. Okay. But for some reason, FIFA... Which I'm not even a big soccer fan and rock band. I could I was good at those two games. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know why. Um boy, lots of good screams
2: uh, coming in. Uh Danny Parkins off the Mitch album. Yes. In <laughs> We Won't Get Mitch again. Find that scream. It's a great, it's a great moment for the Parkins scream. Um and then yeah, Zach Delaroca from Rage Against the Machine. Oh hell yeah. Wake up. Oh my God, you're so right. I gotta listen to that whole I remember where I was when I, when I heard the entire first album from Rage Against the Machine. I don't think I got up from the couch. I was like, "What? Is this play 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 the rest of it. Play, play more of it." Yeah. And we just listened to the whole damn thing.
3: I still have an, I still have an appreciation for playing albums start to finish. Oh, absolutely. Like I think in the world of Spotify and so many things where you just play things on speakers and it just I like actually finding the albums and playing them in, in order the way they're supposed to be played.
2: So one of my favorite musical things that I've ever done with Tributosaurus, or really with anybody else, because we do a thing where, for anybody who doesn't know, been doing it for 20 years, and every month we're a different band. So we do one night of a band and try to encapsulate their whole career. And we've done like 125 different bands through the years. It's very fun. Yeah. So when it came time to do the Beatles, how do you do the Beatles? You don't do one night of the Beatles. So we did a project where we played every song they ever recorded from start to finish in chronological order. Every six months we would pick up where we left off. Okay. So we eventually got to like Sgt. Pepper's and the White Album with a thirty piece orchestra at the Copernicus Center Theater on Lawrence. That sounds amazing. It was it was it was great. And it was incredibly satisfying. Like to get to Abbey Road and do And in the end the love you take And be like, well, we just did everything Okay, hi everybody Did Let It Be, did the whole thing So this Thursday we're doing Rubber Soul and Revolver Again, down at Theater on the Lake So all of Rubber Soul and Revolver And the four singles that are in between But what reminded me is I'm doing some of the research for it Rubber Soul is the first time the Beatles said You know what, why don't we think about the whole album Instead of just like Putting our best songs there and figuring out what the singles are. What if we, what if we made it a, a an entire album?
1: Yeah.
3: Couldn't
2: couldn't that work well? Okay. So they were didn't have concerts. They didn't have radio. They didn't have any movies. They were doing. They were just like let's spend four weeks here and yeah. actually work on an album. And that's Rubber Soul. And that's then awesome. then comes Revolver and Sgt. Pepper's. Yeah. And There you are.
3: I, for some reason, I like to listen to Pink Floyd when I watch football tape. <laughs> I just do. It's like every Monday when I rewatch the Bears, or when I turn on the coach's tape, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I really? gotta put Pink Floyd on, and that's what band, like, you can't just say, hey, Google, play Pink Floyd. No, you can't. You have to listen to the songs in the way that they were on the album, or they don't make sense. I love that. The transitions don't, There's they don't the, add up.
2: Especially, well, I mean, Wish You Were Here is an entire suite. Yeah. The entire thing is, is one piece yeah. of thematic music. Yeah. The Wall is like that. Dark Side of the Moon. No, you're right. You're right. Um... Yeah, had the opportunity to play Dark Side of the Moon from start to finish, oh, and that's like the that's satisfaction the of when you get to the end of like all that you touch and all, all that, that, you that you taste. Yeah. Like, oh my god, here we are! All that's right, good. well that happened. <laughs> well, hey, real quick,
1: <laughs> yes. that on screaming, get, introduce your your introduce Ruben to some Linkin Park and show him some Chester Bennington screaming. There's some good. It's, he's he's the one of the
2: best oh, of all time. Man, I i I, I want to validate you studs and I try not to be a music snob and a music elitist and and yet I don't know that I've ever gone. I don't think I've gone two songs deep into Lincoln Park in my okay. life and I, I really? haven't, it makes it makes I, sense. I haven't felt the pull. I have you know, not felt you the know draw. Why you There's is, so much good stuff out there, well,
1: studs. No, I know, I know. And I know why you haven't. It's because you weren't like twelve to fifteen years old when their first album, Hybrid Theory, came out. Yeah. It, so that didn't speak to you the way that it spoke to, you know, people that were preteens when they're, when they're when he's screaming about you 100%. know The like, same kind of things that you're feeling.
2: hundred percent. Like for for instance, I was twenty-one When my friend John in Boston, who was the music director at the Emerson College radio station, said, you got to hear this. And he put on Smells Like Teen Spirit. So, like, I remember hearing... Hearing, like, I'm, not, I'm not hearing s- Nirvana come out of the speaker, and so that had that effect on me. So anything that has that felt like that and felt similar to that is swimming upstream for the rest of music's. Existence. No, I,
1: I understand. I understand. You know it's, what I mean? and, and, and you know, look. I'm not saying Linkin Park's like great or anything, but you're talking about screaming stuff. They yeah, Chester yeah, Bennington's yeah. a great screamer. You know, yeah. that's 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 why I brought it up.
2: I got you. Um. Yeah. There, there's, there's tons of good screaming coming in here. Uh, McCartney, especially Young McCartney, unbelievable screamer. Um. And then uh, Janis Joplin with the screaming TVI by the Stooges with an Iggy Pop scream. Some uh, Highway Star by Deep Purple getting in there. Yep. There's Lincoln Park. Chester Bennington. Oh, and, uh, and Maynard from uh, from Tool uh, with Perfect Circle. Rob Halford. Uh, for screaming, you got another thing coming. Yeah, see,
3: yeah, I could, I could make a
2: nice big playlist
3: for the ribster. Olivia Hoag, one year old uh, baby. Oh yeah, yeah. Tell great me. screamer, great screamer. <laughs> yeah. Tuneful? <laughs> uh, not really. Yeah. Just oh, more of that uh, screeching that you want to turn off. I'm uh, sorry.
1: Oh, uh, in the Twitch, I don't know how we didn't get to this. Chris Cornell, you got to get some Chris Cornell. Oh my oh, god, yeah.
2: a god, yeah, yeah. an an absolute freaking god. You, you, oh my God! You're making me want to go. Uh, what was it? Blow up the outside world when he gets. When all of a sudden there's. It's like a screaming verse after he sings the whole thing beautifully and delicately. Then there's a whole verse that just screams. It's like, oh my
1: God! Or even I <sighs> mean, just you know, one of their first releases, Jesus Christ Pose. Mm-hmm. Like him
2: sitting on that is like, what is this? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely uh, up there. All right. Well, we didn't at all get to what I teased, so that's why I'll yeah. tease it again. <laughs> Um a, a a proposed Bears trade provides a backdrop for some conversation with Adam Hogue if we actually get there in a moment on the score.
3: The Parkinson Spiegel show. I don't know what's going on with any of it.
2: Afternoons on the score.
4: Well, they've got guys that are just absolutely out of position and when I say that, they've got you know right now they've got number 4, number 5 or you know I mean they've got guys that wouldn't make other teams playing So they don't have a number one on the field right now. They don't have a number two. And maybe Byron Pringles a legit number three. Maybe. I think he was more like a fourth option in Kansas City.
2: Bears need a number one wide receiver. Unless they're going to just hope that Chase Claypool evolves into that. I don't think they're going to do that. Knowing Ryan Poles so far. So there are different ways you can go and get yourself a number one wide receiver. Matt Spiegel here with Adam Hogue from CHGO and the Hogan John's podcast. And I want to ask you about this this trade that I saw written up as part of a mock draft on the Draft Network, draftnetwork.com. Okay. So it is just a writer's idea, but it is certainly an idea. Um, the Bears at the number 2 pick after the Texans take in this one, it's CJ Stroud. Interesting. He's got the Bengals trading up to the number two pick. Now, this could be maybe if the Bears are three, because maybe Bryce Young does go two, or Bryce Young goes one and CJ Stroud goes two. So if the Bears are three or two, so conceptually, just play with the concept here, okay? The Bengals trading up to go get Will Anderson. And give themselves the elite edge rusher they think is going to put them over the top for years to come. And in that trade, they give up a first-round pick, their first-round pick, which is pretty low, number 28 overall.
3: I was going to say, this is a big trade-up for the Bengals. Yes. This would be a trade that gets you a lot in return because you're moving back a ton.
2: Because it also gets you T. Higgins. Oh. So the Bengals have to decide whether they're going to pay T. Higgins or franchise T. Higgins. Or um, sign him and allot all that money when they've got Jamar Chase coming up in, in a moment here. And they've got all this other stuff to go. So this is the way that some teams go and get that wide receiver. It's the way that the Eagles got A.J. Brown. They traded a lot for A.J. Brown and then signed him. Um, the Debo Samuel stayed and signed his new deal. DK Metcalf stayed and signed his new deal. T. Higgins and Jerry Judy are two wide receivers in that realm for this upcoming offseason. So, would, yeah. if it was T. Higgins and the Bengals pick number 28 overall, and then more stuff, maybe it's a second rounder from the Bengals as well. This, this has, and maybe it's a third round pick in 2024. So, there's like, there's all of that. Is that enough? Because then you have to pay T. Higgins. So, the Bears would be giving up a lot to move down to 28, but they'd be getting T. Higgins. And, and keeping a
3: one that is a fascinating uh, trade because you're still getting a first round pick back. Yeah, it's not high, but here, here's getting back to what we heard from a little bit of from Brad Biggs. They're coming back uh, out of break. I agree with him that they don't it, with the guys they have out there right now because obviously we can't forget about Darnell Mooney who's on IR. But you know if you put it all together. I don't actually think they're that far away, though, from having a good receiver group. Because if you add, Higgins would be your number one, your obvious one, right? Right. If you add a real one and Claypool's a two and Mooney's your three. And I'd probably say uh, the other way around, to be honest with you. Oh, good. I I think I'd say Mooney's your two and Claypool's your three. Okay. Pringle, I have to say, over the last few weeks has been better. Is your four. Now, remember, he's not signed for next year. He signed a one-year, $5 million deal, I think, somewhere around there. Um which is something I want to give Polls credit for, regardless of what position we're talking about. I don't think he has necessarily been guilty yet, with maybe the exception of Claypool, Claypool of overpaying uh-huh. for what guys actually were, or are. Like, you look at the guys he signed in free agency this year, is there a single one that you're like, no, I mean, like, even Justin Jones... Okay, they're not paying him a ton. It's a two-year deal. It's... The
2: problem is he didn't get his first target on the offensive line of Ryan Bates, who you just saw play pretty well. But and I... he didn't get his first target on the target on the defensive line and Joby. But I think that the that, injury,
3: sure. And I think, but I think that was part of his reluctance to overpay. And and in the end, he was close to doing that with Ogan Joby, but the guy failed his physical, so he said, "No, we're yeah. out." It was a he was conservative in that approach. Mm-hmm. Now Claypool's a little bit of the opposite because he got aggressive. But I guess my point being is, I'm not, I don't think Ryan Poles thinks Chase Claypool's a number one wide receiver.
2: Yeah, and that's one of the first things I said coming off there. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think so either. So, if he's going to go get a one, and I, I'll give uh, Danny Parkins um, credit for this this concept and conversation we had a couple weeks ago, and he had done the research. One option is you do what the Eagles did. With, a, with A.J. Brown, which is you make a trade like that for T. Higgins and you pay him. Or a trade like to Denver for Jerry Judy mm-hmm. and you pay him. Another option is you find the disgruntled veteran number 1 ride receiver. Um, or maybe he's not disgruntled, maybe his team is going to rebuild. If Brady leaves Tampa, is Mike Evans going to be on the trading block? Yeah. If Arizona remakes whatever they're going to do, is DeAndre Hopkins going to be on the trading block? Then you're just trading draft capital and it's not not going to be that much what are you going to have to give up for Evans or Hopkins a 3
3: that's why I like this hypothetical that's come up here, because in most of the, as what you're getting at is in most of those situations, you're doing what Philly did. Like, yeah, Philly traded a first round pick. They, they traded a ton in capital and then paid him. And the reason they were able to do that is because they've done such a good job over the years of acquiring more capital, so that they could do that and right. still draft in the first round and still have a high pick this year coming right. up, which and, is insane. And they had a team that's ready. So my, yeah. my my
2: eventually I got I got to that I wouldn't make this kind of trade like for Higgins or for Judy or like the A.J. Brown trade, because yeah. I don't think that the Bears roster is ready for that kind of move. But I do love the idea of getting DeAndre Hopkins or Mike Evans or somebody like that to hand Justin Fields a one in his in his elevated prime and say, here you go, kid.
3: Absolutely. And the reality is if you're going to try to shoot for that number one wide receiver in the draft with your second-round pick, yeah. For because I don't think there's necessarily a guy that you're taking top three. Right? Right. That's going to take a year. Like, look at George Pickens right now. A lot of people are high on Pickens. They like Pickens. Sure. okay. He's, he's, he looks exciting. Sure. But he's not anywhere close to, like, right. an unstoppable guy that defenses are, are worried about right now. Right. Or Christian Watson, is working out very well when healthy in Green Bay. But Sure. But it's, you know, he, he seems like he's going to be a good yeah. player and maybe blossoms into, mm-hmm. you know, a, an unstoppable force. But he's not even close to that now. Yeah. So, I... But that's why this is intriguing to me because you're still picking in the first round.
2: Yes, you're still picking, but it's moving way yeah. down. You got so many needs. I, I I like the idea of trading down with somebody in the top ten and getting whatever else you can get. Sure, and still getting like like in this mock, um, th- this mock has uh Jalen Carter right. That's that's yeah going six. So, like, imagine if you could trade down to six and still get your three technique yeah. in Jalen Carter because this has four quarterbacks in the top five. Or excuse me, three quarterbacks in the top five. It's got Stroud and Young and, and somebody trading up. It's got Carolina trading up to go get Will Levis.
3: Somebody's going to yeah. fall in love with that, dude. Oh, sure. It's already happening. <laughs> I think Mel Kuyper has him number one overall. Does or, he really? Oh, yeah, something like that. It's already saw, happening.
2: Yeah. It, Even with Zach Wilson being benched probably forever with the Jets this week. And Mitch flaming
3: out and and
2: doing nothing in Pittsburgh in Destination Three. It's still happening,
3: and it really is like you're. It's even in the best years. It's like a fifty fifty shot because look at the the draft from twenty twenty one, which everybody's celebrating right now. All we know is that Trevor Lawrence is good and probably Fields. Otherwise, it's bust. In in Wilson, yeah, Mac Jones is just what we kind of thought Mac Jones was good. He's just a guy. Right. He's me. just a guy. Yeah. He's just a guy who can manage a game and, and be a little dirty for you. It was. It's not necessarily a bad pick. Yeah. Another dirty hit this week. Right. I don't like that it. guy, man. Yeah. He's the Grayson Allen of the NFL for sure. <laughs> uh, and then, and then there's always that guy too, that just like, you never know. And he's hurt. And that's, Trey Lance right now. Like I don't want to hold it against Trey Lance, but when yeah. he comes back next year, he hasn't played football in three years. Yeah. It seems like a problem. I, I want to push back on some textures saying T. Higgins has
2: never had more than 80 receptions in a year. That's not a number one. He's on a team with Jamar Chase. T. Higgins is a, 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 T Higgins has the um has the pedigree and has the body and the hands. And sometimes Burrow goes to him to because he's going to win a freaking slant. Yeah. Like, like this is not like Mike Williams versus Keenan
3: Allen. I think T. Higgins is better than Mike Williams. Do oh, oh. You agree with that? Uh, I, yeah, uh, yes, I do. And by the way, he's going to have eighty catches probably by next week. Okay, so he's at seventy three <laughs> right now. He's already over a thousand yards. He has touchdowns, uh, in. Well, he only played one snap three weeks ago. So, basically, he has at least one touchdown in his last four games.
2: Yeah. He's, he's a beast who is thoroughly capable of being a number one, in, in my opinion. But, but I hear you. If you don't want to make that trade and give up all of that and trade that far down for a guy that you don't feel that confident in, go get Hopkins, man. I think it's 50, I think it's 30 mil over the next two years for DeAndre Hopkins. God, Justin could just know he's got that dude. And and throw him open, right? Throw back shoulders to him. Let him use his God given guagi and and practice guagi. To and go he might, and he might have
3: the most guagi. Like the ball just sticks to his hands. It does, man. Like it's insane. Yeah, absolutely does. He's Adam Hogue. I'm Matt Spiegel. It
2: is Parkinson Spiegel on the score. Let's talk Bulls disaster from last night with Hogue's teammate Will Gottlieb. We'll do that next on the score.